If you are in Sydney or Melbourne, listen up because we have some exciting news for you. Listen. Yeah, listen. Saturday, July. (laughs) Melbourne, we are doing Do Go On The Quiz Show live one night only or one afternoon only. Part of the Replay Festival at Comedy Republic on Saturday, July 6th at 3pm. This is 2024. And then the next weekend in Sydney, we are going up for a live Do Go On podcast at the fabulous Ritz Cinema on Saturday, July 13th at 3pm. Also 2024. Yeah, 2024. Yeah. Listen. 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 And get tickets. Buy tickets. Tickets at dogoonpod.com. Come. Let's do it. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky and as always I'm here with Matt Stewart and you better believe Jess Perkins. Hello Dave. Hey Dave. It is so good to be alive uh, and here <laughs> on this podcast. Thanks so much for Great having Great to have me you here again. Matt and also going to say a big welcome back to Jess Bob Perkins. Ah, she's back baby. She's back. She's better than ever and she's unstoppable I think is what we've learned. Agreed. Nothing, from... nothing can stop you. Uh, thank you, dude. And she's talking about herself in the third person now. Is this a yes, some sort of a side is. effect of <laughs> Kona? 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 <laughs> Kona 2012. Uh, <laughs> merging a few concepts there. <laughs> Obviously, Matt has only just started hearing about uh, coronavirus. Yeah. So it's new to you. You don't, yeah. you don't know that. I haven't got my head around it. No. We're not calling it Kona. <laughs> no? Not yet. Okay. Yeah, I reckon 2023 uh, will be yeah, called I don't think it, it's not, it hasn't been around enough for a cute nickname. Yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am back. Thank you for, you know, holding the fort while I was away and getting guests in. And I'm not listening to any of those um, episodes. <laughs> they are not canon to me. Oh, okay. Not on a fish. <laughs> not on a fish. Um, but yeah, I'm back. Hey. Uh, we well, should say once again, well, thanks so much, Cass Page, for joining us. Don't listen to Jess. Uh, yeah, if it was anybody other than Cass. Unfortunately, Cass is an absolute delight. Um, so it's hard for you to really... It's hard for me to hate her, but I do. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Um, yeah, thank you to Cass. And thank you, you guys, for just, you know, lifting me up. Hey, thanks so much for being someone we can lift up. Yeah. <laughs> now, Dave, yes. Jess has been gone for a few weeks she might not know that we've planned a few things while she's yeah, been away yes we got some stuff to tell you what about. do you mean and we figure you can't say no when we're live on the podcast <laughs> why is this not the first time this has happened what have you done well i for one have decided that we should do a quiz show at the comedy festival what the f- 
fuck? <laughs> yeah. And you're 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 going to have to answer my questions as a team captain against Matt, oh. your best friend. So you, it's really going to cause a rift here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she yeah, hasn't said a, that officially yet. He's a, he's <laughs> a, <laughs> sorry. Sorry to try and force that. He's a friend of mine. Yeah, yeah. I well, suppose. he's going to be an opponent of yours because at the comedy festival this year, I've booked us uh, three nights at the Melbourne Town Hall. Monday nights, April 4, 11, and 18. And uh, Jess, why have you been away? We've sold about half the tickets. Okay. And we're very happy about that. Thanks, so everyone. I, I really can't back out. Yeah, honestly, we've sold. <laughs> we've just passed the point of no return with the ticket sales. So you kind of have to be there. I'm kidding. I'm, I love it. This would be great. So it's called Do Go On The Quiz Show. I ask the questions. You guys answer them with special guests each week. Uh, against each other and basically it is like an episode of do go on because i pick one topic from history and quiz you all about that topic so by the end of it we've all learned a little story but we've also got some points on the board Mm. so exciting uh can't wait to crush matt yeah crush the loser and (laughs) loser will be crushed that's a rule (laughs) (laughs) i'm also doing a show at the comedy festival with alistair tremblay birchall our resident clit expert (laughs) And also peen expert. Is that on the poster? I think so. And uh, the show is Can called... I have a go? Can I have yeah. a go? Can I have a go? Because I think Dave sometimes can get it, but um, I want to have a go. Honk, honk. Yes. Hubba, hubba. That rings a bell. Ring-a-ding-ding. Uh, Dave? That's right. That's correct. <laughs> correct. Ding. First point to Jess. <laughs> oh, no. Honk, honk. Hubba, hubba. Ring-a-ding-ding. And it's on uh, for the second half of the festival. Not Monday. On Monday nights, Angus Gordon is playing my role, but um, yeah. Go see it that night as well if you want to. No, no, don't go to see it that night. Come see our quiz show that yeah. night. That's right. See me and Al on one of the other nights. If you really love us, you'll never see Angus Gordon. <laughs> yeah. If I ever see you looking at Angus <laughs> Gordon, I will feel like you've betrayed me and you are dead, dead to us. Dead to us. Uh, Dave, another thing Jess might uh, not recall anymore because she's been away for a couple of weeks is how this show works. Yeah, Jess, it's been a while. Do you remember? Um, Do you want me to... I think there's a gong involved. Yeah, that's also at the quiz show. Oh. But, um, basically, on the podcast, what we do is we take it in turns to report on a topic often suggested to us by one of the listeners. We go away, do a bit of research on it, come back and present a report to the other two who sit quietly and never interject. And Jess, it is your turn, Mm. should have probably confirmed this with you as well, (laughs) to write a report on that topic and then you always start with a question. Yes. And if you've got a question, we know that uh, another side effect of COVID is getting a question because you never have one. I never have one. So I do have a question. Wow, you're Um, a changed woman. Yeah, COVID has made me better. (laughs) Yeah. Who knew that could happen, but it has. Uh, my question is, what is our favourite kind of badass on Do Go On? Ooh, World, World War II. Is a World War Two badass. <laughs> Do we get half a point there for <laughs> that? Yeah, that was, that was actually perfectly in unison. I think people who get your voices confused just heard one voice there. Yeah. So <laughs> I funny that people get our voices confused. Do we sound the same? Not at all. Do I sound like that? Did <laughs> I? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, it is a World War II badass. We haven't had one for a little while. It's been a while. It's been a while. So excited for a World War II badass. Obviously, World War II full of badasses. Yeah. This is actually one that I've wanted to do for a while. This is a story that my dad used to tell me a bit. Um, and a couple of people have suggested it as well. It's been suggested by Emily Hess- Hessian and Jaden Wright. Um, and it's the story of a man named Raoul Wallenberg. Oh, I do know that name. I Rings do a bell? not know that name. Do you know much about? Uh, a little bit, just because, and maybe I'll say my story about him at the end. Okay. Ooh. How do you how do you spell Rao? R A 
O U L. Right. Raul. Or Raul. Yeah, it's like. It, Raul. I always sort of said it like Raul, but um, he's Swedish. Right. And in um, uh, hearing other Swedish people talk about it's him, it's more like Raul. Raul. Yeah. Man, Raul. That's a Raul. cool name. Yeah. My brain does not quite understand it. Well, I'll probably say it a lot. Great. So I I'll get it by the end. Just in time, you'll just be able to mimic the sound. Yeah. <laughs> and that's even. Uh, I'm. Assuming I'm saying it right, and I don't know that that's true. Mm-hmm. All right, let me see if I can mimic what you just said. I'm assuming I can say it right. Maybe that's not even true. <laughs> Fuck, that's actually pretty good. Oh my God. That was actually pretty good. People, if they were confused before, they're going to be fucking bewildered now. <laughs> Are we all, we only we have one voice between the three of us yeah. now. Well, we have one mind. Yeah. And one heart. And, <laughs> and one microphone. It's we're sharing it yeah. back and forth. <laughs> so you guys definitely have COVID. Um, <laughs> so the story. <laughs> When Maria Weising was six months pregnant with her first child, her husband, Raoul, a Swedish naval officer, died of cancer. Tragedy struck again three months after she gave birth when her father died of pneumonia, leaving both Maria and, and her mother, Sophie, widowed. Jess, did the character this is about just die in nope. the first seconds? Okay. <laughs> did feel like that? Oh, my God. Flashback. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. How did he get here? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Because in the next sentence, so Raoul Gustav Wallenberg was born in August of 1912 and raised by his mother and grandmother just outside Stockholm. So I was just, just trying to do something a little different rather than born on this date. I was trying to be, you know, raised by his mother and his grandfather, named after his dad who Love died. It. Just before he was born. Just before he was born. His paternal grandfather, Gustav Wallenberg, was a diplomat and a Swedish representative to Japan, Turkey and Bulgaria. And Gustav would be rather involved in his grandson's life, particularly when it came to education and employment. After high school, Raoul completed his compulsory eight months in the Swedish military. And then in 1930, his grandfather sent him to study in Paris. It was important to Gustav that his grandson became a citizen of the world. He wanted to make sure that Raoul learned languages, travelled abroad and had varied work and life experiences. After spending a year in Paris, Raoul heads for the US, studying architecture at the University of Michigan. According to Wikipedia, he used his... Uh, oh, sorry, Wikipedia is a, um, a website I came across. I don't know if you guys have stumbled oh. upon another like I'm World War II it, no. kind of it sounds um, topic. Sw- Swedish, is it? Uh, yeah, maybe. It might be like Wikipedia. <laughs> um, oh, right. Right, maybe I've had so that. Right. Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Oh, yeah, right. I think so .org. Oh, not .com. .org. No, .org. Wikipedia.org. Yeah. <laughs> that does sound European. Yeah, I yeah. think so. And it's like, it's just like a, oh, I don't know even how to describe it. Like an encyclopedia of World War II oh, information. And a, is it an encyclopedia? It's an encyclopedia. <laughs> Check <Jackson>. out. <laughs> Why have you cringed every time? I'm, I'm cringing. That, <laughs> This is me laughing, Bob. Do you not? <laughs> you haven't seen I've this before? I've never seen it That's before. That's how rare it is. It looks like a cringe. It's oh, like no. I'm, I'm hurting Matt. <laughs> he hates it and I don't know why. I'm not hating it. I'm, I'm probably trying to stifle the laugh. You're, um, <laughs> you are. you're being serious about something and it feels very rude <laughs> to be laughing. So it looks like a, it's, it's, a cringe, a, but it's just me yeah. trying to stop myself You're having a visceral a response yeah. every time. It's encyclopedia. But you don't want to... <laughs> You don't want to be seen to be laughing at another language, yeah, you know, laughing at Swedish. Yeah, it's insensitive, well. yeah. No, 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 we're not laughing at the language. It's probably my butchering of it. Yes. Um, so according to Wikipedia, he, <laughs> <laughs> he used his vacations to explore the United States with hitchhiking being his preferred method of travel. 
About his experiences, he wrote to his grandfather saying when hitchhiking, you have, you have to be on alert the whole time. You're in close contact with new people every day. Hitchhiking gives you training in diplomacy and tact. Oh, I was imagining when he said you like you got to be on your guard all the time. Like he's just got his fists up all the time, ducking and weaving <laughs> yeah. in, in the back of a car just yeah, in case. He's just kind of getting used to, you know, communicating with different people, adjusting your communication style, acting with a bit of tact. And he's like, I, I mean, he's he, the Wallenberg family and his grandfather are quite wealthy, um, and but he wasn't sort of a classic rich kid uh, studying abroad. He like took um, summer jobs with a lot of his friends. Work, like he worked at the World Fair or something at one point. Like It does, yeah. Well, it did sound like he was rich. I mean, he's like been sent around the world yeah. to study and stuff in the, what, the 19... This is in the 30s. 30s. Yeah, he's gone to Paris and then the it's States. Great Depression, everyone's battling. He's, he's just feet up in yeah. the first-class spa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Grandfather. Hitchhiking in first class. <laughs> Um, so he, oh, you must. Oh, you must. <laughs> oh, you must. You must summer in Paris. With the average Joes every now and then. <laughs> so he's studying and he returns to Sweden in 1935 and he found that his American degree didn't qualify him to practice in Sweden as an architect. Oh, my good. You think someone would look into that? Yeah. Mm. Whoops. But don't worry. Let's not forget he has a rich and generous grandpa. Um, so a few months after returning from the US, Ryle's grandfather arranged for him to work for a Swedish company that sold construction material and he moved to Cape Town in South Africa for that job. And after six months in South Africa, he worked briefly for a branch of the Holland Bank in Israel before returning to Sweden to work at the Central European Trading Company thanks to his father's cousin, Jacob Wallenberg. So a bit of nepotism there, getting him a, getting him a good job. Right, but he's been all over the world. Yeah, he or- has. And he's young. Like, he's, well, he's born in, what, um, 1912. So he's, uh, and this is 1935. So he's still quite young. Yeah, amazing. Um, and he's, yeah, travelled around a lot and had varied experience. Tell you what, it's bloody not what you know, it's who you know. You know what I mean? What do you mean? Well, I mean, uh, sometimes you can have all the qualifications, but it doesn't matter because your dad's uncle's cousin yeah. has a knows there's an opening in South Africa. Yep. And he gets you a job there. Yeah. And maybe you don't even know about South African wood. Yeah. But you get the job anyway. Mm-hmm. Even though maybe some guy down there yeah. might have been better qualified, might have known more stuff. Yeah. But he didn't know your dad's uncle's cousin. Yeah. So <laughs> He didn't get the gig because he just didn't know about it. <laughs> At yeah. the interview, they say, do you know Barry? Who? No, Next. you're out. Next. Do you know Barry? Yes. Welcome aboard. <laughs> so I guess just always say yes. Always say yes. Always say yes. Sometimes I trick you though. Uh-huh. Do you know Barry? Yes. Well, he's not actually related to me. Yeah. yeah. He's actually a bit of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> he's my worst uncle. Barry's my <laughs> least Favorite. You so you said the wrong thing. You guys got a least favorite uncle? No. I'm trying to think. I don't no. think I do. I try, I try not to rank my uncles. Well, I mean, there's a hierarchy, but then there's also an equal rung down the bottom. So yeah, I do have some pretty rank uncles. So. <laughs> <laughs> They're all equally terrible. Um, except my uncle Tim, who listens a lot. Hello, Tim. Tim, love you. Also, my favorite uncle Tim. That's not my uncle. Tim. <laughs> Uh, this guy. No, that's, that's not, not my Uncle, uncle Tim. Tim. That's my Uncle Jeff. Anyway. <laughs> Jeff, also a great uncle. Great. Jeff. An amazing uncle. Love him. Um, so he's gone. He's working for the Central European Trading Company. Um, and the owner of that company was a Hungarian by the name of Kalman Lauer. That name will come up again. 
Kalman, amazing now. I love that. You Cal- can set your I'm watch probably there. also saying that wrong, but Kalman Lauer. Kalman Lauer. And who's Kalman Lauer? Sorry, the owner of the company that um, Raul's now working for. Kalman Lauer. Kalman Lauer. Kalman Lauer. Kalman Lauer. Sounds like something you'd get if you finished top of your class at university. Oh, Kalman, I finished Kalman Lauer. <laughs> <laughs> I graduated Kalman Lauer. <laughs> wow. Um, so this was around the same time as the uh, Nuremberg race laws, which were anti-Semitic and racist laws that were enacted in Nazi Germany in the mid-1930s. And by the late 30s, Hungary had its own version of laws, which were modelled on the on the OG, on the original um, Nuremberg race laws. So the Hungarian laws focused heavily on restricting, on restricting Jews from certain professions, reducing the number of Jews in government and public service jobs and prohibiting intermarriage. According to um, Wikipedia again, because of this, Wallenberg's business associate, Kalman Lauer, found it increasingly difficult to travel to his, his native Hungary, which was moving still deeper into the German orbit, becoming a member of the Axis power in November of 1940 and later joining the Nazi-led invasion of the Soviet Union in June 1941. So um, Lauer is Jewish and he, so it's becoming, obviously, like I just said, increasingly hard for him to get back to Hungary. So he's not able to travel there for business, so Wallenberg became his representative, travelling to Hungary to conduct business on his behalf, but also he sort of he spent a bit of time visiting and checking up on Lauer's family, who was still in, in Budapest. He was, like, checking up on him. He was learning the language. By 1941, he was the joint owner and international director of the company. So, and he hadn't been there that long, I suppose, but... Joint owner, international wow. director. That's a pretty cool title. That sounds like did a great... He, yeah, did he, buy, he have to buy his way in? Or I'm he, not sure. They just went, you're doing so good at this, I want you yeah. to have a piece of it. I, w- I would suppose to be joint owner, you'd have to... There'd be some buy sort of yeah, financial put in, but, you know. Well, I suppose if you literally can't go into a country to do the business... Yeah. The other, you know... And your associate can and he's doing good work and he's a... Yeah, know? and if, I don't know if, that, if that's a big source of the business, maybe you go, all right... I like he's sending messages. I hope some of those messages are like, can you go up to some of these Nazis and <laughs> punch them in the mouth? Did you punch a Nazi? Uh, this one comes from Lauer, come Loudon. <laughs> come Louder? Kalman Lauer. Kalman Lauer. <laughs> yep. Smack. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, anyway, let us know if you got any reply. I'll be back there next week. Who <laughs> wrote? Right. Who wrote? Right. All right. That's all. Uh, I think that's all I got. That's all <laughs> I got. Checking, Let me check and, uh, Just checking the list. Oh, oh, no, hang oh, on. That's sorry. for a different Nazi. Back of the hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seems to be it. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I have a case of the Fridays. TGIF, am I right? Anyways. Anyway, this one's from me, knee in the ball. Matt, it sounds like you think Nazis are bad. Ah, you know. It's just one of my quirks. Okay. I reckon they're real Real, real assholes. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't know if I can put it in stronger terms than that. Um, stronger than real, real assholes. No, I don't think I can think of anything stronger. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's about right. Yeah. I, I don't mean to be impolite, but I dislike them <laughs> strongly. Whoa. Do you want me to edit that out? You got a bit heated there, mate. If you, no, you probably should. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't want to offend any Nazis. (laughs) Oh, now come on. Anyway, so as international director, he also made several trips to Germany and occupied France during the early years of World War II. 
Meanwhile, the situation in Hungary was deteriorating as the outcome of the war wasn't looking good for Germany and its allies. After the Battle of Stalingrad, in which Hungarian troops fighting alongside German forces suffered a staggering 84% casualty rate. Oh, dear. That's a lot. Um, The regent of the Kingdom of Hungary, Miklos Horthy, definitely said that wrong, sorry, began secretly pursuing peace talks with the US and the UK. Hey. Hey. It's not going so well. It's not looking good for Germany, so I would like to to back out of that, please. Yeah. It seems I've we've made some wrong choices, <laughs> and all along I've actually been on your side. Yeah, I just chose their side because I thought they were going to win. Yeah, but they're not. But it doesn't look like they are. So now I need to join your side because it's actually looking like you're going to win. Oh no! I assume that's ex- verbatim how that conversation went. Unfortunately, shrewd negotiators. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately uh, for him, Hitler caught wind of this duplicity and ordered the occupation of Hungary by German troops in March 1944. So Horthy was placed under house arrest and a pro-German puppet government was installed in Budapest. Like literal puppets? Yeah. Oh, like, oh little, little Depends Hitler on which puppet. ones. It could be like, it could be Muppet-type puppets or it could be like Thunderbird. Yeah. Or oh, marionettes. Yeah, that love could a be marionette. Fun. Yeah. F-A-B. What was that? Punch and Judy type. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I hadn't heard puppet government before. I mean, I sort of got it from context, but I did look it up and it's pretty much what you what you think. Yeah, like when people say like a puppet state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a state made up of puppets. <laughs> Sesame Street's or a puppet a, street. Yeah. It's like, it's like that <laughs> oh, on when, a when somebody scale. When somebody has their hand up your ass, you're in a bit of a puppet state. <laughs> yeah. You sort of go, whoa, what's happening here? What's happening here? Right, puppet? You know, like but, that. But you kind of you're at, you are at their mercy. You have to do what they say. <laughs> you really do it at that point. Sometimes I start talking and I'm like, "Shut up, Jess!" And they're behind you talking out the side of their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they. I'm so muffled. Yeah. Maybe they got their head in there too. Maybe. <laughs> 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 help me! Help me! Help me! I've got too far. In. <laughs> Oh, I overcooked this. <laughs> Maybe I could get through to the other side. <laughs> That's gross. Um, so, yeah, they, they kick him out. A pro-German puppet government is installed in Budapest. I'm going to keep saying Budapest, but it's like Budapest, isn't it? I think uh, probably. But yeah. I think people say, I think sort of commonly said Budapest. I'm going to say Budapest. Now, there's three uh, sections of Budapest. Uh, you got Buda. Yeah. you got... Obuda, mm-hmm. and you got Pest. Am I remembering that right? I don't know why I'm asking. I haven't been. I don't know. Me either, actually. I believe that's right. Wait, that, have you been to... I have been. I had a great time there. In an Irish pub? No, but I think that's the city where I stayed in. Uh, it's, it's pretty crook looking back. I mean, I thought it was crook at the time, but it was... Um, I stayed at the Aboriginal Hostel. What? And I assumed that it meant like... Because Aboriginal means, you know... Local or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just thought it was like going to be... It just meant local hostel. But it was Australian Indigenous themed hostel. What? Okay. In In Budapest. Budapest. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah, very, very strange. I think it was like the person... I I said to the guy, I'm like, why? (laughs) What's this? What's happening? And he he was like... I, I love Australia. 
I said, oh, have you been? He said, no. Oh, <laughs> boy. It was, it was very strange. But also, like, people aren't going to Budapest to uh, appreciate Australian no, indigenous yeah, culture. Yeah, Is well, it, and I, I mean, yeah. It was you know some I mean? sort of, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit strange. Yeah. But were they right, targeting, targeting, targeting Australians, yeah. I guess, but it's... Also not... I mean, it worked for me somehow. Yeah. But really, it was just because it was the cheapest hostel available. Yeah, there's a reason for that too. But... um, Interesting. I, I just... You know, I I was on a tight... I was on. I was in Europe on a shoestring. Yeah. I should write a book about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so prior to this, you know, um, Hitler catching the guy trying to make peace talks, prior to this... Hungarian Jews had lived in relative security and safety from the Holocaust. But in April and May of 1944, the Nazi regime and its accomplices began the mass deportation of Hungary's Jews to um, extermination camps in Nazi-occupied Poland. I read in a couple of places that the deportations took place at a rate of about 12,000 people a day. Fuck. Absolutely insane. So fucked. It's just fucked. So a plan was being put together to rescue Hungarian Jews by the newly created War Refugee Board, or WRB. The man tasked with the job was Ivor C. Olsen, who worked in the US Treasury Department and was also secretly employed as a Chief of Currency Operations for the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, which was like the pre-CIA. It was wartime espionage, basically. So he worked for them as well. And Olsen needed to find someone to go to Budapest and organise a rescue program. And he established a committee to find a person capable of the task. Olsen was looking for a man willing to walk into the jaws of the Nazi death machine, someone who spoke both Hungarian and German, and someone with an independent spirit who would not need much oversight or direction. That's quite an ad placed in the newspaper. I I feel like a guy I know ticks a few of these boxes. Are you going to say Jesus? (laughs) (laughs) Jean Claude Van Damme. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus would have been funny just, though. Just every time you sort of start to go, I know a I guy. Know a guy. Who, I'm like, it's gonna uh, be Jesus. <laughs> oh no. I know a guy who. Uh, that's normally always carpentry, though. Yeah, that's true. I know a guy who is pretty handy with a chisel. Yeah. <laughs> Does this also call for a bit of carpentry? <laughs> So, he, yeah, Olsen's put together this committee to find the right person. On that committee was Kalman Lauer, Raoul's business partner. Oh, Kalman Lauer. Lauer introduced Olsen to Raoul Wallenberg, and Olsen selected Wallenberg for the job. The US officials originally doubted his reliability, mostly due to existing commercial relationships between businesses owned by the Wallenberg family and the German government. They were like... Uh we like this guy, but it looks like he had his architecture degree in America. Yeah, we don't recognise that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, we don't know what those cowboys are teaching you over there. <laughs> and we need a qualified architect. Yeah. So they're thinking he, because he's got some close German business ties that he might... Like his family does. Right. Not so necessarily him and the business that he's running, but like the Wallenberg family's pretty big and wealthy and they just don't know if they can trust him yeah i think so but uh, those concerns were eventually overcome um they made some sort of like a bit of a deal and wallenberg reached the swedish legation in budapest in july 1944 do you know what a legation is i'd never heard this it's like an embassy but like a lower level embassy oh like a shit embassy yeah it's like 
It's a sub embassy. Yeah. <laughs> I had to look it up. I was like, what is this? Underwater embassy. It's an um- underwater <laughs> embassy. Um, Under the embassy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we'd have so much fun on a topic. Yeah, well, so far, I've talked a lot about Nazis. I think we're, I think we're trying to think about other things. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. We're, we're making bad puns where we can. Where we can. We gotta, you know, because <laughs> it is so fucking grim. Yeah, oh, so, it's absolutely. Yeah, when I heard the topic, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, badass. So uh, when they've like interviewed, they've reached out to him and they've signed him up for the mission. He yeah. knows it's, it's this is incredibly dangerous. Absolutely. So, so hence the badass part. Yeah, that's right. Um. Uh, I didn't include it in the report, but um, on his, uh, I read a story. It was on um, the Wikipedia. He and his sister went to see a movie. The movie was like, um, uh, I'm just gonna, I'll find it just quickly now. Wallenberg was directly inspired by Pimpernel Smith, a 1941 British anti-Nazi propaganda thriller. The film had been banned in Sweden, but Wallenberg and his sister Nina were invited to a private screening at the British Embassy in Stockholm. Enthralled by Professor Smith, the main character, who saved 28 Jews from Nazis, Nina stated, We thought the film was amazing. When we got up from our seats, Raoul said, That is the kind of thing I would like to do. Perfect. So, so yeah. don't tell me propaganda doesn't work. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but amazing to have such a real opportunity to do this. To do, yeah, yeah exactly. right. Wow. Yeah, exactly what he was inspired by in this in this film. Um, so yeah, by the time he gets there in July of nineteen forty four, the, Nan- the the Nancy the Nazi <laughs> campaign had been underway for a few months already, and between May and early July of forty four, more than four hundred thousand Jews had been deported already. Oh my God. When when how, Ra- sorry, how many? Four hundred thousand. Holy shit. Yeah. When um, Wallenberg arrived, only 230,000 Jews remained in Hungary. So, it's already like it's... So two-thirds have been deported already. Yeah. Wow. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, growing, getting bigger, it all means the same thing. Squarespace (laughs) makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. And if you're worried about like, well, I don't know how to write stuff for a website and make myself look good, well, you can get help with the written content for your website with Squarespace AI. You can generate instant personalized results that highlight your brand identity you can explain what your site's about choose your tone enter what you need and bang you got some short and long form text baby so squarespace ai makes it easy to go live stand out and succeed online i'm so glad you had that bit because i thought it was pronounced squarespace ai (laughs) (laughs) anyway sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses or sell files your customers can download. I don't know if I'm hitting all these words as <laughs> intended, like PDFs, music, or ebooks. I would love to buy Matt's ebook. 
I'd like to buy Matt's course, and you you can do that. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Be more like Matt. Oh, one hundred and one. Wow. Yeah. How many? One, does it go to one hundred and two? It goes all the way to one hundred and two. <laughs> wow. You can customize everything with next generation editing technology. You can create engaging lessons your audience will love, and then set the price. You can charge a one time fee or sell subscriptions. Matt, how much is it to be more like Matt one hundred and one? Oh, three mil. Wow. Wow. Like per month or? Yeah, USD. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com slash do go on. So here's what they did. Along with fellow Swedish diplomats, he issued protective passports. They were called Schutzpass. Um, if someone had one of these passports, it identified them to German officials as a Swedish subject awaiting repatriation and thus prevented their deportation. So they had these little passes that were like, no, I'm, I'm Swedish. So right. I'm going back to Sweden. I'm just waiting, uh, waiting on a flight to Sweden. Um, these were not, in fact, legit legal documents, but they looked it. Um, and they were generally accepted by German and Hungarian authorities, Amazing. some of whom were bribed, but... Most of the time. Yeah, I'm Swedish. Wink. Yeah, so is my friend here, Benjamin. (laughs) 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 Can't remember his name. Benjamin (laughs) Franklin. Benjamin (laughs) Franklin. But who is this? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know who that is. Imagine that, geez, the terror of having to show anything but like a forged thing and. Yeah. And trying to commit. Hey, no, I deserve to live. Oh yeah, your life is some guy. (laughs) Yeah. Your life is based. Based on the outcome of the transaction. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So stressful. Terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. The Swedish legation in Budapest also succeeded in negotiating with the German authorities that the bearers of the protective passes would be treated as Swedish citizens and be exempt from having to wear the yellow badge required for Jews. They had to wear that yellow star, Mm. um, which was a deeply, you know, shameful and... um, really dehumanising thing for them. So the Swedish legation managed to say, if you've got this pass, you don't have to wear it, which is just, an, I guess, like a little added bonus of something deeply stressful. So at one point, the German government took away the validity of the passes. So Raoul appealed to the wife of the Hungarian minister for foreign affairs because <laughs> who can convince a minister better than his own wife? Mm. And it worked, and the woman was able to convince her husband to honour 9,000 passes that had already been issued because um, they were like, nah, they're not legit, and then he just convinced them. A bunch of money had been raised uh, for the War Refugee Board, largely by the Jewish community in the US, and with that money, Raoul rented 32 buildings in Budapest. These buildings were declared extraterritorial, meaning they were exempt from the jurisdiction of local law, um, which means these buildings had diplomatic immunity. <laughs> oh, I see. Mm. And they were, did you say extra? Extra territorial. Extra territorial. Yeah, fun. Yeah. So he just. So close to extraterrestrial, yeah. which would be even cooler. He declared the buildings extraterrestrial. <laughs> the, this building's a UFO, but it's identified and it's not flying. Sorry. The Sorry. Rules. I don't, I don't make the rules. It I is just, an object. Yeah. <laughs> Argue that. Argue that, you dog. <laughs> Knee to the balls again. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he communicated. Yeah. Knee to the balls. Um, he disguised these buildings with oversized Swedish flags and signs such as the Swedish Library and the Swedish Research Institute. 
<laughs> Great way to disguise a building. Make it yeah. a library. No Make one's it blue going and there. yellow. <laughs> Swedish Research Institute. Yawn. Right, but really, this is just an. I'm em- going to the water park. <laughs> one was an IKEA. They made one. <laughs> Swedish meatball restaurant, <laughs> and they realised that was a mistake because they had lines of people trying to get in. Would they just call them meatballs? <gasps> That's true. Makes you think. It does make you think, doesn't it? God, I love when this podcast asks the big questions. The big ones. What is a Swedish meatball? I don't know. That's a big question. I'm big. guessing it's a Swedish style meatball. Delicious. Yeah, but how's what it makes it different to an to Italian a... meatball? Dave, I have I've eaten some meatballs in Sweden, and they were fantastic. But I don't know what was in them because I, I didn't Sweden. cook them. Yeah. Yeah, right. There you go. Fascinating. Fascinating. <laughs> That's the kind of insight you get when you travel, you know? You sort of experience <laughs> new things. Get answers to the world. Yeah, yeah, I ate a meatball there. What's like me? Very inquisitive. I'm going to like inappropriately named hostels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're all getting culture somehow. But um, yeah, I, I had it at, at a place on top of a bed of mashed potato with some fantastic gravy. Oh as my God, what a day for Dave. It's the Swedish gods intended. That's a perfect day for you. It was really yum. <laughs> it was very, very nice. So yeah, these buildings that he had rented um, were used to house and protect Hungarian Jews, apparently eventually housing tens of thousands of people. There's a um a Michigan University site. It's about the the Wallenberg legacy and I um it has some good info on it, so I'll, I'll mention it a couple of times. But um from that site it says in an architecture class at the University of Michigan, Wallenberg had received a grade of excellent for designing a low-cost housing project that could fit 4,500 people in 16 city blocks. In Budapest he found a way to place 35,000 people in buildings designed for fewer than 5,000. Wow. So he really is the perfect guy for the job. Yeah, yeah I guess the architectural skills are pretty handy he's here got, too. He's got the language, he's super worldly, very confident, wants to protect these people because he's been really inspired to do so. Yeah. And then also he is architecturally qualified, literally made a project like this yeah. that can house thousands of people in a small space. Amazing! Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. I've seen a few interviews with some of those people. And one woman tells a story about how about 128 of them were crowded together in a basement cellar after the building they were being housed in was bombed by Russia. And she said food was scarce and what food they did have was brought to them by Wallenberg himself in the dark of the night. But despite the conditions being dangerous and not far off prison conditions, this woman said morale was incredibly high because... And this is a quote from her. We were considered worthy of saving and that was just Uh the most incredible feeling. Wow. Uh. Isn't yeah. that r- ridiculous? Like, it's yeah. heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. incredible. So heartbreaking. And what, what a wild situation to be in. Yeah. Where you're in a country, you're an enemy in your own country. Yeah. You're seen as an enemy. and But then that country's enemies, like Russia, are bombing you as well. So you're just like, yeah. it's just a, what a nightmarish scenario from all angles. Yeah, absolutely awful. And all these people that um, I've seen tell stories about um, Wallenberg and stuff they they speak so highly of him and they're so um I don't know they've really got him on a pedestal in a way I, I don't know another way to sort of say it but they just they, they think he's incredible some of the anecdotal stories like I was saying are amazing I saw a video of a woman telling a story that I also saw mentioned on the Michigan University website so here's a quote from the site it says Jews were frequently tied together three in a row on the bank of the Danube um, the middle person was shot, sending all three into the freezing water to drown. Oh, my God. 
A woman from Wallenberg's office recalled an occasion when Wallenberg heard that Hungarian Nazis were shooting women and children at the river. He asked his staff who could swim. We went, it was a cold night, and jumped into the Danube. The water was icy cold. They saved 50 or 60 people. Wow. And this woman telling this story was young. Like, I I don't know if she was a teenager or, or, but like, she was young when this happened. And he sort of said, who's a good swimmer? And she was like, I'm a great swimmer. And so she she went with them. It was freezing cold. And they saved 50 or 60 people. And she was like, we couldn't have saved those people if it wasn't for Wallenberg. And it's like, you saved yeah. people. You <laughs> saved people's lives. Couldn't have saved them if you weren't a good swimmer yeah. either. Holy shit. And even crediting that to him. And I mean, that's amazing that they would all do that. But yeah, a, like a young woman being like, well, I'll just go jump into this icy cold water and save some people. And you also assume that it's not like they're just doing that without danger anyway. Exactly, like, yeah. just there... People are getting shot. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, incredible. So they saved they saved a bunch of people that night as well. Um, this is a story from uh, Wikipedia. Uh, what is it? Wikipedia.org. <laughs> it's pretty badass as well. Um, Sandor Ardai, one of the drivers working from Wallenberg, recounted what Wallenberg did when he intercepted a trainload of Jews about to leave for Auschwitz. He said he climbed up on the roof of the train and began handing protective passes through the doors which were not yet sealed. He ignored orders from the Germans for him to get down. Then the Arrow Cross, which was a far-right Hungarian Nationalist Party, um, the, the Arrow Cross men began shooting and shouting at him to go away. He ignored them and calmly continued handing out passports to the hands that were reaching out for them. I believe the Arrow Cross men deliberately aimed over his head as not one shot him, which would have been impossible otherwise. I think that what they did, I think this is what they did because they were so impressed by his courage. After Wallenberg had handed over the last of the passports, he ordered all those who had one to leave the train and walk to the caravan of cars parked nearby, all marked in Swedish colours. I don't remember exactly how many, but he saved dozens off that train and the German and Arrow Cross were so dumbfounded that they let him get away with it. Oh, man. Whoa. How uh, ridiculous. But how... <laughs> Um, how brutal to be like choose like I know go, people both from both sides people yeah. accepting it and being like oh you'd feel off you know it's just I know yeah but obviously no one none of their fault that they're in that scenario I know. so it's just everything about it is just so fucked like incomprehensibly fucked exactly right yeah you can't like you can't Wallenberg can't save every single person on that train maybe this day, but does that mean he doesn't try? Yeah. That he doesn't at least try yeah, and save of some? Of course. You know, and then I know it's, you're absolutely right. It's incomprehensible. It's horrendous. Um, and, but that's just a crazy story that he's on top of a train. Yeah, wow, such bravery. Handing in passes. It's wild. And it is a wild, wild idea that they're shooting near and him, yeah. but not but purposely trying to scare him and he's not scared. Yeah. And then... I mean, I suppose you sort of have to take that story with a grain of salt because you don't know. It's it's third hand and it's somebody hypothesising about the intentions of these um, Germans and Arrow Cross men, but who knows. But it's pretty wild. Um, he started sleeping in a different house each night to guard against being captured or killed by Arrow Cross party members um, or by Adolf Eichmann's men. He was one of the major organisers of the Holocaust. Honestly, if I reckon if they try to capture him, they'd just sort of like swoop above his head. Yeah. Sounds like they're fucking useless. Just can't get, can't get oh. him. Oh. Just like <laughs> typical dumb goons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stormtroopers sort of thing. Oh. 
Apparently his car was blown up one time, but nothing stopped him from tirelessly confronting, manipulating, bribing and harassing Nazis. <laughs> I just like that. Um, I like that. He's just harassing him. He's, he's confronting and annoying Nazis. Nazis are like, this man is harassing us. He's so, he's too, he's so mean. Leave us alone. We're just trying to go about our Nazi business. I'm just doing my job. Okay. I'm just following orders. Just following orders to do yeah, my job. Yeah, classic Nazi bullshit exactly. said. Wallenberg. Wallenberg. Rao. 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 Fucking, yeah. <laughs> better, you fucking. Yeah. I don't know what to say here, but. <laughs> feeling a lot of feels. Feeling a lot of things. In the last days of the occupation, German troops, along with Hungarian Nazis, assembled around the Jewish ghetto in preparation for a massacre. When he learned of the plan, Wallenberg confronted the Nazi commander, persuading him that if he allowed the attack on the ghetto to go forward, Wallenberg would see to it that he was hanged for his crimes against humanity after the war. The frightened Nazi, who knew Hitler was about to be defeated, called off the assault. The lives of about 70,000 Jews were saved. 70,000? Apparently, yeah. Sometimes the numbers get a little muddled. Different resources say different things. But it was a very big area that the um, the Hungarian Nazis were just going to storm into and start shooting. Imagine being like, hey, look, we're going down. But I'm really committed just to killing innocent people. Yeah, I, I mean, know. It's... It's like, oh, we're going to lose this in a couple of days. So if we're going to do some killing, now's the time. Because all's fair in war. Yeah, like assuming so indoctrinated into this hate. Yeah. That it's just, uh, yeah. It's, It's in a way, and the only word I can think is fascinating... The, just the psychology of it. You're right. Fascinating. <laughs> Fascination. It's so fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> Don't you think? Such an interesting sociological experiment. Just There's fascinating. <laughs> is that an article on Wikipedia? Wikipedia says, just fascinating. <laughs> What's wrong with us? <laughs> <Don't know. laughs> So what happens next is uh, widely speculated. All the sources I read said slightly different things. Back to that Michigan University site. It says, On a mid-January morning in 1945, 20 Soviets arrived at Wallenberg's door. Speaking haltingly in Russian, Wallenberg explained his mission to rescue the Jews and asked to be taken to the highest Soviet authorities. He spent that night at Russian headquarters in Budapest the next day, he returned home with an escort to pick up his belongings. Friends described him as calm, but with an edge in his voice, assuring them he would be back in about a week. Wallenberg's friends and family never saw him again. What? On the other hand, Wikipedia says, Wikipedia says uh, that Wallenberg was called to the headquarters of Soviet military commander Rodin Malinovsky. And Wallenberg's last recorded words were, I'm going to meet Malinovsky. Whether as a guest or a prisoner, I do not know yet. So he trusted the communists only slightly more than the Nazis. Um, he allowed himself to fall into their hands because he hoped that the Soviets would allow him to stay in Hungary to take part in the post-war revitalization of its society. It's believed that he was transported to Moscow and held in a Lubyanka prison. 
While we now know the extent of Rael's efforts, at the time of his disappearance, his achievements were relatively unknown. So the Swedish government was far more interested in maintaining good relations with the Soviet Union than finding out what had happened to a Swedish citizen employed by the United States. So at that stage, he's just a, he's just a guy. You know, they can't chase up every single person who goes missing during a war. So it's not really like high priority for them to be like, what? Where's Raoul? Anybody seen Raoul? They got other stuff on their minds. So it wasn't until June of 1946. So that's that's um, a while later. Um, so 18 months. Later 18 months later, under pressure from the Swedish public and the Foreign Office that the Swedish minister to Moscow finally requested an interview with Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin to discuss Wallenberg. Uh, Though the Swedish Foreign Office had evidence that Wallenberg was imprisoned in Moscow, the minister volunteered that he personally believed that the great humanitarian had been killed in Budapest. Offered an easy out, Stalin said, yeah, that's what happened. Right. So the Swedish... Foreign Office had evidence that Wallenberg was in prison in Moscow, but this uh, um, uh, minister is like, I reckon he's probably dead, hey? He probably died in Budapest, don't you reckon? And Stalin's like... How strange is that? Yes. That is what happened. Isn't that odd? Doesn't make a lot of sense. That conspiracy of science continued for 11 years. Wallenberg's immediate family never gave up hope of locating him and from the moment he disappeared, pressed their case relentlessly. It was only in 1957, during the political thaw following Stalin's death, that the Soviets broke their official silence on Wallenberg's fate. They admitted that he had survived the war and even that Stalin had been holding him prisoner at the time of the 1946 meeting with the Swedish minister. But they claimed that Wallenberg, a healthy 32-year-old man at the time he was abducted, had died in prison of a heart attack two years later. Why, why, did they, why were they keeping him in prison anyway? Uh, it's a, a wonderful question. Probably he saved people's lives. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand. It, it wasn't even... He was saving them from Nazis. Yeah. I don't get it. No, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't... Re- yeah, I don't really understand why the why the Soviet Union was was keeping him, I don't know. Um, however, several former prisoners have claimed to have seen Raoul after his reported death. Some of these claims are well into the 60s, 70s, 80s. Wow. People saying they saw him, they heard of a, a Swedish diplomat being held um, in the prison and, yeah, even into the 80s. Pressure was put on US President Jimmy Carter in the late 70s to investigate further into what happened to Wallenberg. Soviet Union would not answer questions to America about a non-American citizen. So a bill was created to declare Wallenberg an honorary US citizen just wow. so they could get more info. It eventually passed by a, a 396 to 2 vote and was quickly signed into law by newly appointed President Ronald Reagan, making Wallenberg the second honorary American citizen in history after Winston Churchill by an act of Congress. Amazing. It's only the second (laughs) ever. So with his citizenship now granted, the Wallenberg family successfully sued the Soviet Union in 1984 over his disappearance for $39 or, or $1 million per year that Wallenberg's fate had been unknown. However, the Soviet Union ignored the suit did not pay any of the damages awarded by the judge and they also did not offer any information into his disappearance. Where, what, where, was, where was this court case? 
Uh, in the US. Yeah, right. So they sued the Soviet Union, which is kind of wild. That is a good question. I don't, I don't really know why this, he was taken by the Soviet Union. That doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Well, not to me, but I'm not that it's, smart. There's definitely some information I'm missing. I've made this... Uh, it's one of those stories that like you could go down so many different rabbit holes because it'd be like, okay, well, there's the Battle of Stalingrad. You could look into that in a lot more depth and then you can look into... Because, well, I mean, <laughs> as you know from a World War One report, um, the wars are very complex. The world ones? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the world ones in particular, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess they are yeah, quite I've never really thought about it like that. Lots of dominoes falling, uh-huh. you know, um, lots of moving parts. Yeah. So they do get a little um, little complicated. Yeah, wheels were in motion. Yeah. And, uh, you know, our people were talking to their people. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. It, it is difficult to, like, uh, justify a lot of the stuff that the Soviet Union did. They mil- murdered and uh, disappeared millions of their own citizens. So yeah. you can see why maybe they arrested him. He says the wrong thing to the wrong person. And they go, actually, I don't like you. And then yeah. Take him out, and then it's like it becomes a diplomatic thing. Oh, we've killed this guy that people are looking for. And then they just, just let's be silent about it. Don't say anything or keep him locked up. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not really. Or well, once that Stalin said, yeah, that's what happened. He died. Like you can't five years later be like, actually, we've had him the whole yeah. time. Does that look embarrassing for you? Right. I think they, um, they, the Soviet Union were accusing him of espionage, essentially. Right. So I think it was more to do with that rather than saving people. Yeah, but I mean, I don't. Yeah, I think I think Dave's right. I think it's just they can't really go back on it. Really, yeah, the espionage he was doing was against their enemy. Yeah, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah, right? yeah, you would you would think so. But I, I mean, you knew how to say that in Russian. But but <laughs> Russia did. were on Germany's side for a lot of the war, were they not? No, n- until nineteen forty one. And then Germany oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. made the fatal mistake, which many people say, by invading Russia. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't During know. winter. Foolish. That's right. Yeah, we've talked about that. That rings a bell. See, I remembered something. Do you remember that? <laughs> don't remember stuff from my was own report. Operation Barbarossa? Is that what it is? What? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before in my life. <laughs> so, the number of people that Wallenberg saved is also pretty contested now. The number 100,000 often comes up. Wow. But in a 2004 paper, Hungarian historian, oh, that's fun to say, and Holocaust survivor Randolph L. Uh, Braham discussed the myth, the mythologizing of Wallenberg's rescue activities. So he said he found, um, or oh, this is from Wikipedia, he found that through personal heroism and diplomatic support, Wallenberg managed to save about seven to 9,000 Jews. However, during the Cold War, his death was exploded in Western anti-Soviet propaganda. In order to make the Soviet crime seem worse, his rescue operations were greatly exaggerated. Wallenberg was incorrectly identified as the saviour of all the Jews in Budapest and at least 100,000 of them, or at least 100,000 of them, in official statements as well as many popular books and documentaries. As a result, the rescue efforts of other agents in Budapest have been marginalised or ignored. So I think... I think the thing to take away there is he's not the only person, obviously, who was working really hard to save mm-hmm. innocent people. And, and the lowball number is 
seven to nine thousand. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> yeah, much. and another historian places the number more at like four thousand five hundred. Still a huge number of people. Unbelievable amount of people. Yeah, and he's working um, with plenty of other volunteers as well. I think like around maybe three hundred people or something. So it's there's lots and lots of people that were working really hard to save these innocent people. Um, and so I think it's hard because you don't – that's not to discount all the work he did, but putting all of the um, accolades on him discounts the work of a lot right. of other people as well. So I think it's just kind of yeah. – Well, I think to be fair, you should read out the names of the others. <laughs> all of them. Um, yeah, the other historian who says the number is more like 4,500 points out that the focus on heroic actions taken by Wallenberg and other non-Jewish rescuers obscures the heroism of Jews who carried out rescue actions in Budapest in the final months and were forgotten after liberation. So just something to sort of, you know, keep in mind there as well. But still, <laughs> I mean, that does not take away from the remarkable work that he did. And like we were saying, he's kind of the perfect person for the job, having like oh, all the exact kind of skill amazing. sets that you want him to have. And if you say 4,000 people 80 years ago, think about how many people alive today yeah. Yeah. wouldn't be. That's a really good point. I think did I think there was a, a lot of... Uh, is it New York? Or there places in America that ha- resettled a lot of Hungarian Jewish people... Mm-hmm. After the war, I think, and really like massively influenced American culture. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you just like you say the amount of generations and generations. Yeah. yeah. So many people are the alive flow today on effects. Yeah. Because of things he did and everyone, everyone else. Yeah. Just amazing. A considerable number of honors and memorials have been dedicated to Raoul Wallenberg all over the world. Numerous films have been made about him, including one called Good Evening, Mr. Wallenberg, where he's played by Stellan Skarsgård. Oh. Oh, who's that? From the Skarsgård family. Yeah. Oh, no, there's like one of the Skarsgård. Who's the dad? In Sk- of the Skarsgårds. Isn't Skarsgård in- a place in the Thor movies? He is in the Thor movies. Oh, it's a person in yeah. the Thor movies. I thought it was one of the places they yeah, went. I thought that was pretty cool. That that um, is cool. He's played that by is cool. Daddy Skarsgård. He's been made an honorary citizen in the US, in Hungary, Canada, Israel, and Australia. Wow. In, in fact, he was our first honorary citizen, which is kind of cool. Wow, remarkable. Yeah. There are multiple monuments in Australia, including a couple in Melbourne. And the reason that his name is always sort of stuck in the back of my head as like a report I'd like to do later is that to drive over to the studio where we record the podcast, I drive past one of his memorials. Which one? The one in Q? Yeah, the one in Q. The Q that's where I knew know him from as yeah, well. Because right. I used to drive, so it's at Q Junction. Yeah. And every week for about six years, I on a Wednesday night would drive from my house to a pub in Richmond where I did my Wednesday night trivia. Ah, yes. And the first time was about 10 years ago and I drive past that every time. And it's it's funny if you do the same drive once a week, every week for the year because like you see the same area in different conditions, different light, different, yeah. different heat, different uh, rain, all sorts of weather conditions. And But it would always be, I'd see this this monument you pull up at the traffic lights that always stop you there. And I, I would see it and go, Raoul Wallenberg, and it would say 1912-no-date-of-death. Yeah. And I'd go, oh, my God, this guy's 100 years old. That's amazing. <laughs> and then I, I reckon it was probably about three years in, I was like, this guy's 103. Incredible. I've got to look up who he is. And I was absolutely gutted to find out that he'd probably been dead since 1945. Yeah. But 
And, or uh, maybe not. Or maybe not. But like, yeah, it was. I, I was like, yes, this hero is over a hundred, hundred and three. Amazing. Keep going. But yeah, you're you're waiting for it to yeah, be you're updated. You're waiting for them to chisel it in. Yeah, I was thinking. <laughs> when, obviously, an amazing inning so far. But when will they? <laughs> when will all good things come to an That's end? Funny. But sadly, it had been like well before any any of my time on Earth. He'd, he'd been gone. Yeah. But, well, yeah, probably. And I guess, like, uh, that's why a couple of people who suggested it, I think at least one of them was like, and it's a mystery. And it kind of is because it's like um, he may have lived and, and there was there was one um, one of the, the people who had seen him, you know, one of the prisoner's testimonies was like mentioning um, somebody in the prison who'd been there for 30 years. So there's some people say that he was alive into the 70s or 80s um but yeah he he may well have been they, a lot of people believe he was executed um so don't know which is fascinating um he's been nominated for a nobel peace prize twice i don't think you can win one if you're dead so it's tragic that he could exactly never receive it yes um, and the Raoul Wallenberg Committee of the United States bestows the Raoul Wallenberg Award on individuals, organisations and communities that reflect Raoul Wallenberg's humanitarian spirit, personal courage and non-violent action in the face of enormous odds, which is pretty amazing. And to sum it up, in 1985, US Ambassador to the United Nations, Jean Kirkpatrick, speaking on the 40th anniversary of Raoul Wallenberg's arrest, said Wallenberg has become more than a man more even than a hero. He symbolises a central conflict of our age, which is the determination to remain human and caring and free in the face of tyranny. What Raoul Wallenberg represented in Budapest was nothing less than the conscience of a civilised world. There you go. Well put. So that is my report. A, a fairly, I would say, abridged version of a, um, a pretty ridiculous and amazing person and life. Um, and a little bit of a mystery. Still people searching for answers, trying oh, to no. find information on what exactly happened. Um, was he was he killed in prison? Did he, you know, die of old age in prison? Not 100% sure. Oh, 30 years in a Stalin Russian prison. I don't know if that's any good. No, that's not a good way to go. But yeah, that's my report on Raoul Wallenberg. Raoul Wallenberg. What a man. Yeah, what a guy. Well... Uh, I think that brings us to everyone's favourite section of the show where we get to thank a bunch of our great supporters. If you want to support the show, you can go to dogoonpod.com or patreon.com slash dogoonpod. <laughs> Let's read that out so quickly. <laughs> sorry uh, for anyone who can't type that I'm, quick. Sorry, Matt, I've got Patreon, my pen here. How do I spell this? <laughs> patreon.com slash dogoonpod. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, link in the show notes. Let's be honest. Check it out. Give us a googs. Uh, but uh, basically this section is where we get to thank and appreciate the supporters who keep this show running. Uh, get involved if you want to. There's a bunch of different uh, rewards uh, for support, including bonus episodes. We do three per month, uh, including uh, many episodes about you know different reports and uh, we do games and we do a Bre- Brendan Fraser appreciation podcast called Phrasing the Bar. And it's just a lot of fun. And you better believe we appreciate him. Oh, big time. That's what we found uh, as the season's worn on. Uh, And another thing uh, you can do, if you like, is 
join the Sydney Schoenberg level and you get to give us a fact, a quote, or a question that way. This section actually has a little jingle. I think you got something like this. Fact, quote, or question. Ah, he always remembers the da-da-ding. <laughs> uh, so if you want to get involved in this, just sign up there on the Sydney Schoenberg level. You give us a fact, a quote, or a question. And then I read it out on the show. You also get to give yourself a title. Uh, first up this week is Jacoby Austin Angel. Great work, Jacoby. Do I get it right? Do you normally reckon, correct yeah, me on how to I, pronounce his name? I think that is... That was as close as I could get. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, Jacoby has given himself the title of writer, director and producer of the Do Gone movie. Now, Jacoby normally uses this section to give us updates on, on his work in the movie. <laughs> Let's see if it's <laughs> similar this time. Jacoby is giving us a brag. So it's called Fact Quote or Question, but now you can also give us brags or suggestions. Uh, are, there, are there any other... I forget. They're the main ones. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it can be honestly anything at this point. Yeah. A recipe. Yeah, go for it. Uh, that sounds like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> uh, Jacoby's brag is... Oh, love it. I've delegated the other roles on set of the Dugon movie to better focus my artistic vision as you last suggested. Oh, that's right. He was doing everything. Well, like, He was mate. doing a lot. Mm. Delegate. Uh I'm like a year behind on the pod and catching up now, so it's okay if you don't remember. It was the Oprah episode. That was a while ago. Mm. Was that about a year? Or was that about a month? I Time don't know has anymore. lost a <laughs> uh, But my last fact quote question Jess asked if we would be starring in the movie or just consultants. Obviously, you'll be starring. This Great. is answering your question from oh, the Oprah episode. Okay, who, who thank will you. I play? I've been waiting for this answer. Uh, originally, I had the idea to cast some big Hollywood stars, but let's face it, you guys are way too hot to just be consultants. Thank you. Thank you. Finally, someone said what everyone's thinking. <laughs> anyway, my brag is also referencing a past episode. A while ago, you guys did Do Go D&D, and a bunch of people in the Facebook group started a listener campaign, which then split off into smaller D&D groups. Don't know if any of the others are still surviving, but after nearly two years, my group is still going strong. Shout out to Max, Karen, Sean, Ben, Stephen, and Jessica. You're all legends. Uh, we spent most of the time on the campaign as the amazing adventuring group, the Left Ways. We always go left. <laughs> <laughs> Who spread communism everywhere they went to start revolutions. I do not understand d d um, <laughs> <laughs> Start revolutions, further their own goals, and of course, get filthy rich. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, recently, we started a whole new campaign to change things up and let Steve take over D- DMing for Sean. It's been an awesome semi weekly thing to look forward to during a worldwide pandemic and general awfulness everywhere. Do go on, create a strong friendship between a handful of people all over America who mostly didn't know each other before this. So we'd all like to say thanks. Sorry for it being a bit long, this one. I'll keep it short, the next one. Keep up the great work. P.S. Congratulations on getting engaged, Dave. Thank you. Are we... Oh, sorry, so I was going to say, you're not a year behind if you know that, but also you consume other media. Because I put it on Instagram. <laughs> I was like, hang on. How does he know that? Thank you so much, Jacoby. Appreciate that. And what a lovely... Um, I didn't know that people were still playing D&D. Yeah, that's so cool. That's we are, really cool. Uh, we were meaning to do it by now, but we, we are going to do another campaign. Yeah, we're in talks. Carnival, eh? 
Uh, I think that, you know, I said it before that it's coming up soon. I reckon I said that a year ago. Yeah. Look, I mean, yeah, various lockdowns have made it difficult, but we, we definitely have that in the in the works. It's a plan. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I don't think they're doing lockdowns anymore. So anyway. Um, <laughs> don't say that. I know. <laughs> Nat, why don't, don't you say that? Don't you fucking jinx us, you idiot. Matt's knocking on everything. Uh, thank you very much for that, Jacoby. The next one comes from Vinnie Bonadonna who's given himself the title of official inline roller skating representative. Oh, <laughs> that's fun. And Vinny's asking a question. Like uh, I should remind everyone, I don't read these out till I read them out. So <laughs> hopefully the question doesn't need too much notice. You people are quite hilarious. Loving this so far. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Beautiful question. <laughs> great we'll question. I'll fill this one. <laughs> <laughs> the answer, yes. Correct. Uh, and I enjoy that you make me laugh on a weekly basis. Okay. I also really, uh, I really missed out the word. I'm going to assume it's like. I also really like the little stand-up I've seen from you all. It could be, could I be really hate. hate. <laughs> I also really hate your stand-up. I detest your stand-up. <laughs> uh, I'm curious to wonder what if you all remember the first jokes you've ever written. Uh he says, I wrote my first joke at 10 years old. Here it is. <laughs> what did the dog say while it was on top of the house? What? Roof. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. That is good. Yeah, he loved the roof seal campaign, I reckon. Roof, roof. <laughs> um, the first jokes I ever wrote, uh, they are on YouTube. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. The ones you've seen. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be the ones you've seen. That was my seventh ever gig um, for the Raw National Final. Those are the first jokes I ever wrote. Do I think they're funny? No. But, you know, it was seven what years ago now. So many spoons. So many spoons. <laughs> it's a good bit. Still have people telling me, um, actually, and it's like, it's just a fucking joke. Fuck you. What was the spoon context again? Uh, it, it, buying drugs. Oh, okay. <laughs> a heroin dealer. Nice. Yeah, a bit of fun. Nice. Um, I can't really remember the first, first joke. Probably also spoon related, knowing me. Knowing me and knowing you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I remember one of the, f- the first ones I did on stage was about um, interbreeding animals <laughs> and how they, you know, like ligers and yeah. uh, meals and stuff like that. And I, I and it never worked. <laughs> But it was Alistair Trombley-Birchall found it really funny. So I tried it a few times. And then I waited a few years, tried it again. I'm like, I was just double checking that yeah. that does not work. Oh, it does suck. All right. Still sucks. But it, yeah, it was something about, I'm like, what was it? I'm, so I watched this documentary about interbreeding animals. And I learned a really sad fact about it in the, in the documentary that they can't um the the children are actually infertile like they can't have um offspring themselves and like i just thought that was really sad because i was watching it with my friend gary and he's a monkey man he's a monkey man and i just think he would have made a really great dad <laughs> That's funny. That's a good bit. You should try that again now. Try it years later. Now you've I think got I think you've got the delivery now. <laughs> You're smooth now. Yeah, you've been doing this a long time. <laughs> I'll try it again. I'll try it again. And I'll, re- I'll report back. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> that is funny. Maybe get to it quicker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
did zone off a little bit, but um, the punchline really delivers. I see you still talking about animals. Huh? <laughs> oh, oh, I just remembered. I used to do comedy songs, and the first one was about being in love with the brand power woman. Oh, the lady who comes on and suggests helping new products. you buy better. Yeah, <laughs> Sally Williams was the one at the time. So yeah. Any footage of that? Of your early songs? Did you ever release an album? No. Sadly, it's not on Spotify. <laughs> Probably just as well. Um, thank you very much for that question, Vinny Bonadonna. Uh, next one comes from Roy Phillips. Roy's got the title Imaginary Menagerie Manager. <laughs> you dog, Roy. You dog. <laughs> Roy boy. Man, I was fucking I was stressing the whole way through that. All right. Uh, Roy's got a question as well. Yep. Uh, the question is... You get to travel forwards in time just once. When do you go? What do you go to see and why? This is amazing because, Dave, we did one of these recently with Cass. A uh, question similar. What would? Where would we go in time? Yeah, but, but that was backwards in time. Oh, but this is forwards. forwards. So it's Good. difficult to say because obviously you have hindsight and you could say, yeah. Matt said you wanted to see some music in the 60s or something. The 2060s? What's that like? Yes, it's interesting. Well, Roy's answered if you want to hear. Maybe that'll inspire me. Okay. Yes, please. Uh, for me, I think I would jump forward 50 years and look to see the scientific and medical advancements and bring them back to modern day. Oh, okay. Are we okay. allowed to do that? Yeah, that's... Uh, he doesn't say it, but implied at a profit. Yeah, because what I was thinking is I'd go forward at least maybe like 10, 15 years and I'd get an almanac and then I'd know who wins like all the all the big games yeah. in the next. So you're doing uh, Back to the Future too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but but yeah, and then I would just make big bets. And then I'd accidentally leave it in the time machine, and Biff would take it, and he would become a Trump-like president. Yeah, that's what I would do. That's the film they supposedly predicted Trump becoming president, <laughs> which was a slightly long bow, but I sort of get it. Uh, Dave, oh, I guess. Does I don't want to know when I die. Yeah, you know? Are you going to be safe? Yeah. Are you protected from, from dying? Well, I guess you're making up the rules here. I guess I'd probably just go a century in the future, just out of curiosity. A century? To see what oh, you're worried that if you go too far, yeah, well, it might be... The atmosphere might, have been hit not by might be breathable. Yeah. Might have been hit by an asteroid and yeah. on fire. Or, or everything's radioactive or something. Yeah, that's true. But because we assume we can come back. No, we are assuming we can yeah, come we back. Yeah, we come back. Because... Otherwise, you, it's like, oh, everyone I know and love is dead. Yeah, yeah. I just don't want to... Oh. Yeah, I don't want to be a century in the future. Also, do you see what happens to you? Yeah, or I don't want to know. Have you having jumped, does that mean that you just oh, disappear? Maybe I'll f- see a shrine and it says Dave Warnicky born 1992 <laughs> blank. And I go, yeah. what happened to me? What happened? That would be interesting. Oh, we've got a fourth podcast oh, that's just entered the room. Hi, Goose! Hi. Do you want to say hi, Goose? I did see you. <laughs> he did. Good boy. Goosey's just Pant got home. Pant for yes. Got home from school. Not really. Uh, how was it? Little daycare. What'd you learn today, you bud? You're so tired, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> that does sound like Jess is just breathing. <laughs> <laughs> he licked my finger. Run on. Gooey, come here. Ah, you're adorable. Anyway. Um, I, and I, yeah, I don't know. That's a tricky one. I would say... I'd say, seeing as you guys have gone short, I'm gonna. I'll go long. I'll go. I'll go, one thousand years into the future. Wow. I'll go to the year three thousand. See how accurate Futurama was. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
But yeah, hopefully my time machine is atmosphere proof or whatever. Um, yeah, hopefully you're safe. Interesting question though. Thank you very much to you, Roy. And the last one this week comes from Kelly Clark. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Goose is back on the mic. <laughs> It's oh, really funny. Yeah, we're happy to see you too, buddy. Kelly Clark. Kelly Clark. And Kelly's uh, title is Asker of Long Questions, which Ooh. sounds ominous. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be so good if she followed it up with a very short question. <laughs> How you doing? Hey, yeah. Psych. <laughs> uh, Kelly. Favorite fruit. Go. Is <laughs> just that. Uh, Kelly's got a question and... She writes, the 26th of May 2022 is the five-year anniversary of the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which occurred after governments asked Aboriginal people to tell them how we could achieve reconciliation. The statement calls for a voice to Parliament and for a Makarada Commission to supervise a process of agreement-making and truth-telling. Makarada is a Yongu word approximating the meaning of treaty. My question... What word or phrase from Kulin, any of the five languages or other Australian First Nations languages, captures an idea you like? I'll share a Wajak Nunga one, Kadi Jini, which roughly means knowing, but comes from Kart, which is head, and Djin, Jin, which is foot. Uh, so it con- uh, kind of connotes. Is that right? Connotes a whole of self way of knowing. Oh, that's fun. So it's like from head to toe, basically. Yeah, head to right. Yeah, okay. Your whole. Cardi- that's cool. Cardi Ginny. Can you give us the the question again? It, it was like a word that. Um, a word or phrase from cool the court for yep. overseas listeners. Cool nation is where we live, sort of the areas in and around Melbourne. Um. Because well, Kelly's from, I've met Kelly before, she's from Perth, from Perth so yep. uh, I think that's why she suggested Cool Nation uh, or other Australian First Nations languages. And do you have a word or phrase from Indigenous languages uh, that captures an idea you like? Captures an idea, wow. That's, an, that's such a, a beautiful <laughs> and and complex question. Yeah, I don't, I don't know know even know if I can think I could, of a word. Yeah, I could do it in language. English, yeah. <laughs> Um, Captures an idea. Yeah, like. that's really I'm interesting. Sure my head is struggling to get around that question. Um, I would. Uh, I was reading a listicle recently um, about uh, some local indigenous words. Yeah, that caught my attention because the headline. Let me pull it up. An introduction to Boonwurrung language from Auntie Face Stuart Muir. I'm like. Arnie Faye Stuart Muir? My surname's Stuart. <laughs> I'm so self-obsessed. Arnie Faye? Uh, so, Arnie Faye's a Boon Warung elder. And yes, she gives a list and some of them are real fun. The one that I, I like the most, and I don't, I don't think this quite answers Kelly's question, but maybe it's, it's uh, in the ballpark. A word, a local word, Tanuk Utbani means water in the billy. Or it's basically an invitation to share food with each oh. other and sit around and share stories. That's nice. Yeah, pretty it's cool. It's sort of like, I'll pop the kettle on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Right. Water in That's the billy. That's nice. I like that. So, billy is like, it's basically like a, a bush kettle. Yeah. Put it on the fire and you have gum leaf tea or yeah. something like that. 
Yeah. That's, that's a good cool. one. That's a great one. It's a, t- it's a tough one. I mean, uh, it's <laughs> no secret that the Australian educational system's not amazing in terms of Indigenous history. So we don't learn a lot about um, about language and stuff like that. And there's... I believe it's getting a lot definitely better. Definitely getting better, with, yes. Like, you know, since our time at school, it has yeah, improved a lot. Absolutely. But yeah, we didn't we didn't learn all that much. And there are hundreds of languages too. So um, I don't I don't I honestly don't know if I have one that like encapsulates a. No, me either. Yeah. What about this, this one? I also like hard. as well. Barring bullock, which means many footprints. So this is a tracking device when out hunting, but also to see what animals or birds have been down to the waterhole to drink. Ah. Oh. Love that idea. I love the idea of you just, you know, being able to, you go, oh, I can see who's been here. Yeah. There's an emu. Yeah, that's cool. There's a kangaroo. There's an elephant. <laughs> um, um, somebody's lost. Somebody better call <laughs> Tawonga Zoo. Tawonga Zoo. Tawonga Zoo. I made up a zoo there. <laughs> uh, that's a great question, Kelly. Um, not one that I have an answer to off the top of my head, but if you have like a a resource or something that you think could be interesting for us to have a look at, you know, feel free to let us know. But, yeah, I don't have one off the top of my head, but I, I like your example. And, Matt, you found some good ones there. That's cool. Yeah. Um, great. Well, and I do – I really do like her – Kelly's example there. Yeah. Cardi Ginny uh, means knowing something whole of self. Yeah. Head to toe. That's really cool. Yeah. Cardi Ginny. Uh, all right. Thank you so much to Kelly, Roy, Vinny, and Jacoby for your facts, quotes, and questions, and your brag, Jacoby. Uh, we also like to thank a few of our other uh, great supporters. Uh, normally, Jess comes up with a little bit of a game to play here based on the, the topic at hand. Yeah. I do often do that. Yeah, this one, maybe this one's trickier. This one is very tricky. he didn't have a nickname. No, not really. Um, I mean, he had a... He had a kind of like a, I would say maybe something like an unassuming job that is used for good in a way that you'd never expect. Like okay. architecture, but somehow save lives. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's something like that, you know, like Paperboy. Only he... Uh, it was a, a bulletproof paper. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's use that one. Okay. <laughs> we, can't, we can't burn that one. That's gold. That's too good. All right. Well, if, if uh, you're up for it and you've, have been for the last couple of hundred episodes. Do you mind if I go first? Please. Okay, great. <laughs> well, I'd love to thank from Modesto in California in the United States, Kevin Droulard. Kevin Droulard. Uh, obviously, for work, Kevin is a firefighter, which is already quite helpful, but not in the way you would expect. Isn't that right, Dave? <laughs> yeah. I totally miss what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I would say a firefighter. Yeah, I mean... The idea was that they would do a job that doesn't usually help people. Okay, never mind about firefighter. Okay. Anyway, but in a, in a way that you wouldn't assume, firefighter, uh, the firefighter. Oh, yep. Yeah, okay, go. He, uh, the, a group of um, lo- local cheerleaders just could not nail a particular move mm-hmm. and he was driving by in the fire truck one day and said i know exactly how to fix that yeah walked in and said all right two three four walked them through it and they went on to win national championships they went to the national they won the national they won the national championship, the world championships because it's america wow <laughs> so yeah that is amazing pretty cool 
That is so cool. Um, well, okay, so a job and then something that they, they yeah, help. it was gonna be yeah, like sorry. dull sort of jobs, like uh, architect. Imagine an architect who may have saved a hundred thousand people's lives. <laughs> yeah. That's surprising. So it was yeah. gonna be not necessarily saving lives, but helping in some unexpected way. And I went for firefighter because <laughs> I also didn't quite understand. <laughs> well, I, I obviously didn't name no. nail the explanation if two of the two people listening <laughs> didn't get it. <laughs> Uh, the next person, I wonder if they'll even know we're talking about them because they are from address unknown. Can only assume deep within the fortress of the null. The, the null. Yeah, now surrounded by people called null. <laughs> and their name is Anne. Anne. Big Anne. shout out to Anne, who is of course a flamenco guitarist. Oh, very yes. dull job. Very Super dull. dull. Job. Boring. Very dull job. And. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, scaled a tall building what? Uh, to rescue a baby and uh, Anne carried the baby, put the baby inside the flamenco guitar case and carried the baby 90 stories back down. What about the guitar? Oh, yeah. Anne, Anne threw that away. Anne's like, that means nothing to me. That's a hero. Whoa. Now, Even though this is my only instrument. Just in case Anne doesn't want to be named and didn't give her surname... For a reason. I'll just give the second initial because I've got the email address there. I'll okay. say Ann P if that helps. Is it my mum? <laughs> no, it's not your mum. Are you sure? Yeah. Are you 100% sure? Is yeah. the email Jess's mum at hotmail.com? Yes. Well, that could what, be. That'd be too Ann obvious. P, Jess's mum at hotmail.com. <laughs> uh, so thank you very much, Ann, and great work with the Flamenco Guitarist. For starters, and then uh, that's cool. The work you did from there is also fantastic. I'd also love to thank, finally, for me from Brown Hill in Victoria, Australia. Beautiful hill, <laughs> a brown one. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't ask any questions about what the hill's made of. <laughs> it's just brown, okay? It's just how it is. Uh, Caitlin Louise from Brown Hill. Caitlin Louise, uh, a, a journalist. Yep. And they don't help anybody, do they? <laughs> uh, it's turned their writing pen for good oh. by writing a letter to Santa Claus for a kid who uh, forgot to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was right at the last minute. Oh, and just they made it? sent it express post, Caitlin did. Rushed down to the last post. Yeah. Which I think is often a bugle. <laughs> but in this case, it was a... In this case, it was a, a male type last post, and <laughs> Santa, yeah, got it there just in time. Santa, Santa was able to deliver the goodies all the way down to Brown Hill. Wow! Great work, Caitlin. Fantastic work. Well, finally, some good news. Yes. And Dave, would you like to thank a few names? Yeah, of course. Here? I'd like to thank from Strathmore here in Victoria. A big shout out to Nicola. Nicola. Hello, Nicola, who is a chef. Yes. Yes. Uh, and always has has a license to carry knives on the train. Yeah. And normally, just like, hey, these knives are just for, for the chefing. But yeah. on this these case... These are just to Julienne. Yes. <laughs> but whilst on the train, on the way to work, Nicola uh, heard the distress call of a, <gasps> another passenger. Turns out they needed to have their airway cut open. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. To... to to live. Did yeah. Ca- did Nicola uh, Julian open their airway? Yeah. Did it in like a beautiful Julian sl- cut. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which so very little was, scarring. Yeah. Very little scarring. Wow. That's nice. Didn't even need stitching. Wow. Yeah. Great. No stitching. No stitching. But 
Okay. I don't understand how. That's a magical cut. Wow. By Nicola. That's a wow. sharp knife. Great work, yeah. Nicola. You are a hero. You're a hero. I'd also like to thank from Mount Gambia in South Australia, William Northcote. William Northcote, Northcote is Northcote. a accountant. Accountant. An accountant. And we all know they're good for nothing. But <laughs> Except William to just turning this into a positive. But one time William was um, on the heading to the train station, head home from work, and um, a big gust of wind uh, pushed a pram heading towards the train tracks. Wow. And William rushed over, grabbed it. Everybody, I mean, there's no train coming, but uh, it was still <laughs> could have been very scary for the sleeping baby. Uh, and he, he grabbed it in such a gentle motion that um, the baby didn't even wake up, slept straight through. Wow, a hero of sleep there! Yeah, yeah. sleep hero. The mum's yeah. gonna be stoked with that. Yeah, exactly. She's like, I only just got him down. <laughs> Great work, <laughs> so William. I'm so glad. And as an accountant, William will be uh, dining out on the most exciting moment of his life <laughs> forever. <laughs> yeah. So great work, William. And finally, I would like to thank from Colorado Springs, and would you believe Colorado, Jonathan McConnell. Jonathan McConnell is an incredible name. What about uh, Jonathan McConnell is a DJ? Yes. Very dull job. Someone uh, had a heart attack. (gasps) Stopped breathing at his gig. Was there a murder on the dance floor? There was a murder on the dance floor. (laughs) The heart was did the murder. (laughs) So that, um, um, what's his freaking name? Norm MacDonald bit about he was attacked. By his own heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what happened on the dance floor. But DJ Jonathan McConnell, everyone's like, what do we do? What do we do? Someone started giving him CPR, yeah. the person. But then no one could remember how fast <laughs> staying alive I goes I for. I fucking knew it. So, of course, he chucks it on, yeah. whips out the, the record. So, he organized the sing-along <laughs> and CPR at the same time. And then save the gig and save the guy's life. He's on a mic going like, and but. But, but but very good. Very <laughs> you know? good. Keeping the keeping them calm. Right. Mm-hmm. Getting right. that rhythm right. Come on, a couple of breaths now. Yeah. Recovery position. Check the airway. Yeah. <laughs> One of my all-time favorite film clips. That staying alive clip. It's just they're sort of just walking around with coats over their <laughs> yeah. shoulders. Yeah. It's very cool. <laughs> so funny. They're just strutting. Pants so high. Chops in full view. <laughs> <laughs> the chop is in full view. Chops chop out lines. Uh, burned into my brain. Much like Dave's was after the last UK tour. <laughs> Sorry about that, everyone. I was wearing, wearing very high pants and strutting around the apartment. And he has every right to do so. <laughs> May I thank some people as well? I'd love to hear you That would be fantastic think. if you could. I would love to thank from deep within the fortress of the moles, from uh, location unknown, H. Daver. Oh, that's a good name though. H. Daver. H. Daver. I think it was some sort of shoe salesperson. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But like pretty good at it. Like you'll walk in and they'll be like, you're a size nine. Oh my god, I am! And they'll be like looking for these, and they'll just hand you the type of shoes you're looking for, and you might be like, mm, I don't know, and you try them on, you're like, these are the best goddamn it's shoes so in the It's like it's like magic. And they'll get the shoes to you like people, you know, used to roll the ball down their arm and bump it up. Yeah, <laughs> they do with the shoe. <laughs> They'd roll the shoe oh, down whoop. and bump it off their bicep one at a time. <laughs> yeah, and the other, and then do it over the over the back round, pop it up to yeah. you. Yeah, pretty sick. Very cool. What about and then uh, they actually. Uh, walk home via the beach. Yes. And uh, someone had been eaten by a shark or attacked by a shark, lost their leg. Yeah. They're bleeding out. Uh-huh. Luckily, H. Davis on the scene, fresh set of uh, shoelaces, <gasps> okay. makes a tourniquet. Get Fantastic. out. And then said, your, your remaining foot, 
size 11, come see me. I'll give you a free shoe on Monday. Leaps into the ocean, kills the shark, <laughs> turns it into a pair of shark skin shoes. <laughs> if I don't know if that's a real thing or not. It is now. But made two right shoes because that's what the person will need from now on. <laughs> the the <laughs> shark attack victim's like, it's not the shark's fault. I was swimming in his home. Yeah. And he's like, I don't care. I'm, I don't care. I'm killing that I'm shark. I'm going to make this shark pay. I'm no, a really, hero. please don't. <laughs> So, the shark didn't mean it. I'm just, I'm swimming. Around. He doesn't know. I was in the wrong. It's the least I could do. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta Please beat don't this, kill that shark. I've got to beat this shark to death with this pair of shoes. <laughs> this is my shark killing boots. <laughs> so big shout out to H. Daver. Shark killer, but also a lifesaver. Yeah. <laughs> I would also love to thank from Thomastown here in Victoria, Len Dines. Len Dines. Ooh, what else really? does Len do? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Len had to do it. Uh, Len doesn't get that a lot, I'm sure. Len Dines. Hopefully he doesn't dash as well. <laughs> <laughs> Len Dines is a bricky. Yes. Yeah, now you're talking. Uh, builds a beautiful, perfect brick wall. And one doesn't time... Doesn't even need a, one of those... <laughs> doesn't even need a trowel. <laughs> doesn't even need a trowel. Doesn't with his hands. Places it down, smooths Perfect. it over. Every time. Every time. One, first Incredible. time, every time. Great work, Len. Uh, Len's colleagues like to watch him work because he's just like the beautiful rhythm he gets into. And one time he was there, he had headphones in. He's just like getting a wall done, mm. right? And then a milk bar across the road gets robbed. No. Somebody comes out of the milk bar, they're running down the street. Len, in this perfect rhythm, just picks up a brick, stands up, throws <laughs> Throws a brick. <laughs> Knocks that person down. Okay. Not dead, okay. but in enough time for the local constable to to get the uh, assailant and land straight back uh, to the wall. The assailant was a, yeah. a young a, man, yeah. a 23-year-old. Approximately Caucasian six foot three. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, proceeding on foot. Uh. <laughs> Did Len pick up the brick that he'd thrown and then put just put it straight back in the straight wall? Straight back in. Covered in blood. You can, you'll notice it, but obviously it tells Luckily a story. Luckily it was a red brick already. So <laughs> and you know, like a, a, well. a, a lot of the charm is the imperfection mm. <laughs> That's right. in a brick wall. You want a bit of blood yeah. on it. Yeah. Every time Len walks past that wall, he taps that brick and goes, I nearly killed a man with that. And, and Len's kids goes, yes, I know, Dad. We know, Dad. You threw the brick at a milk bar. A man bar, was rubber. almost getting away with a Toblerone. <laughs> and that is not on. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, Len. <laughs> and finally, I would love to thank from Butler in PA, Pennsylvania. Yeah. The Butler, only P state PA. in America, I believe. Oh, yeah. Uh, Cody Daly. Cody Daly. Cody Daly is a creative consultant. Yes. I don't know what it means. No, nobody does. Cody doesn't really either. But Cody's doing all right. He's doing all right. He does it perfectly well. Yeah. <laughs> Although clients are always happy. He's like, I don't know what I did, but they seem happy. Uh, But on one occasion, Cody Daly, uh, he just creatively consulted uh, with one of his top clients. Uh, And he's like, another job done, I guess. And on his way home, he, feel free to take this up whenever you're ready. He He was crossing the road, Jess. Yes, yep. And then... And then <laughs> someone came out of the milk bar. <laughs> <laughs> he grabbed a brick. <laughs> he, grabbed a, he had a brick in his briefcase. No, he was crossing the road and he saw... Dave. He saw... What did he see? He saw... <laughs> a, um, a, uh, he saw that there'd been... Um, 
uh, a car accident. Yep. A couple of people with minor injuries. Okay. And uh, but then they said, look, I've, uh, they were crying even though that they weren't injured. He's like, shouldn't you be happy that you're, you're alive? And they said, well, the thing is I've got no insurance. This is going to ruin me. And he said, I'm a creative consultant. I've got a great idea. I will turn this scene into a bit of art. Yes. And from the profits from this art, we yes. will pay for the damage you've caused to the other vehicle and I will get you back on oh the road. Oh, God. Wow. What a hero. Cody didn't, like, he didn't owe those people anything, but no. he just did this Goodness nice thing. Don't say creative consultants don't do anything because oh. they, d- they do. Wow. They change lives creatively. <laughs> That's Thank incredible. Thank you so much for that fine work you did, Cody, as well as Len H., Jonathan, William, Nicola, Caitlin, Anne and Kevin. Thank you one and all. And finally, the last thing we like to do is welcome a few people into the Triptych Club. Uh, to get into into the Triptych Club, you just have to be a supporter on the shout-out level or above for three straight years. Mm-hmm. You get welcomed into the club. It's a one-way ticket to paradise, baby. Once you're in, you're in for life. Whether or not you want to <laughs> leave, Sorry. you're in. A uh, bit of theatre of the mind. I'm standing on the door. Got the guest list on a clipboard. Got the velvet rope ready to lift up. Oh, once I call your name, I'll welcome you in. Everyone who's already in the club is waiting there, clapping along, cheering your name. Then Dave's on the mic, on the stage. He's emceeing the night. Yo, he's yo, gonna, yo. He's going to pump you right up. Hell yeah. With a, a pretty weak uh, bit of wordplay. And then <laughs> Jess will um, support Dave, even though it must be really hard to do, to be honest, because some of it is... Genuinely dog shit. Um, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Who is this guy? Who is this negative Nelly? Jess also normally comes up with a, a cocktail based on the mm-hmm. today's topic. What's what's today's cocktail? Branvin. Yep. <laughs> Branvin. Um, it's schnapps. Yeah. Are you on Wikipedia? Wikipedia.org again? Oh, Wikipedia. I said Swedish alcohol. Um, so yeah, a few cocktails. Great. That and of course Swedish meatballs. Fantastic. So Sounds delicious. And da- Dave, you've normally booked a band? Yes, uh, as a tribute to the great Rahul Wallenberg, who is Swedish. I've booked a Swedish band. Yeah. You think of one Swedish band. Get it in your minds? What are you yes. thinking of? Is it Ace of Base? <laughs> it <laughs> wasn't. On. No, but... It wasn't. <laughs> it was it? The, the Hives. Jess? Uh, I was thinking of, um, of uh, another band. ABBA oh. is the other I one. I was thinking of the Cardigans. Wow. Uh, they're Swedish. There you go. I thought they were Irish. Oh. That makes way more sense. There you go. ABBA is the number one. But uh, I don't know why that makes way more sense. Ace of Base. Can't wait. They saw a sign. I saw the sign. And it, it opened, opened up my mind. I saw the sign. Yeah. Great song. Can't wait to hear it. Actually hated that song. <laughs> <laughs> As a kid, but just hearing uh, us sing it then, I love it again. Uh, my favourite is First Aid Kit. They're oh, Swedish. Oh, yeah. They are. Well, you know, my I band was booked to to open for them once. Get out. Really? really? Then they cancelled the gig and by the time they came back, they were way too big to play at the Northcote Social Club anymore. <laughs> Suddenly they're like, oh no, we're doing Festival Hall. <laughs> we'll, get a, we'll get a big local act. They, oh. And didn't they get their break by covering Fleet Foxes on YouTube or something and they were discovered that way? Oh, I don't know. I think. It's the way of the future. YouTube, you heard of that? Heard of it? Uh, I think it's what the kids are into these yeah, days. Yeah. And I don't know. Isn't that how Bieber was discovered by Usher or something? My mate, t- stop me when I'm making things up. I know. <laughs> All right, anyway, so we've got seven inductees into the club this week. 
Are you ready, Dave? I am ready. I saw the sign. Here we go. <laughs> All right. From Bandura in Victoria, Australia, it's Celeste Van Grinsven. Oh, Celeste is best. Yes. From Holly Spring in North Carolina. Fun fact there. <laughs> fire trucks are blue. It's Paul Jacob. Oh, impossible to feel blue around Paul. Yes. Oh, my God. Amazing. Thank God he added that dumb <laughs> no, fact. I had nothing apart from that. <laughs> from Hayne City in Florida in the United States, it's Jason Frey. Oh, I thought you were going to say free. Okay. Um, Frey. Jason um, fr- Hay. Yeah. Frey's the way. Yes. Make way for Jason Frey. Oh. Let's lock that one yeah, in. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Edit as appropriate. <laughs> up in Victoria, Australia, it's Brad Teasdale. Oh, it's a big Ruppin' Yup from me. <laughs> <laughs> from Vermin in Connecticut, I reckon, in the United States, it's... Brianna Spencer Lyrich in brackets. Not sure if I'm meant to read that out or not. Nice. <laughs> Sorry, that really threw me off. <laughs> Brianna Very Spencer. Temperamental. Brianna Sp- <laughs> Spencer, I give you a 10, sir. Yes. <laughs> Would have been, I mean, 10, no, sir. Ten su- yeah, okay. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, they're a real princess. To me. Shut up. It's not yours to play. <laughs> From <laughs> Dungarvan in Ireland, it is Thomas Goodall. Oh, this not going to be a bad old. It's going to be a good old. Yeah, Thomas is here. And finally, from Princeton. And finally, from Princeton in New Jersey, in the United States, it's Lisa Ballard. Well, I'm not sure about Princeton, but I'm sure about Princeston. Lisa Ballard. Yes. What? I'm saying she's a princess. She's royalty. Come on in. <laughs> We're very happy to have you here. Come on in, your highness. Yes. God, Matt. You ruined everything. Can I in- interest you in a in some snaps? <laughs> do you want to do you want to meet Ace of Base? I I, I know you the can singer. Can make it happen. <laughs> Thank you very much to Lisa, <laughs> Thomas, Brianna, Brad, Jason, Paul, and Celeste. Welcome into the club. Make yourselves at home. Grab yourself some Swedish meatballs and cocktails. Enjoy Ace of Base, and uh, yeah, everyone's very friendly in here. Have a great old time. Uh, but that brings us to the end of the episode. Bob, do want, is there anything we need to tell people? Just that if they want to um, see what we look like, you can head over to Do uh, Go On Pod at all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, you can get in touch with us at uh, dogoonpod at gmail.com or our website, dogoonpod.com. It's where all the cool people hang out. I'll be there. I'm online. Yeah, you're on the World Wide Web. I've I just am. seen that Dave has 10,883 unread emails. God, that makes me feel sick they talk, to think about. They, they say you need to get your 10,000 up to be an expert in something. Yeah. So it sounds like you're an expert in not opening <laughs> emails. That makes me very anxious. How many have you got? None. Like what I'm do you a, mean? I'm a, I clear the inbox. How do you, what, do you delete them? If it's not relevant, I delete it. Uh, yeah, like this is just all junk. I'm just deleting it right now. It's gone. Done. Uh, my inbox is empty. What happens if you need to find something later? I don't delete like things that I need. I delete junk, but otherwise it just sits there. So you're telling me that I don't need an email from Booper saying, smile, you've got a new neighbor. No, nah, I'd be deleting that. Really? It's Why time to recharge your doorbell. <laughs> <laughs> Up to 60% off Qantas wine stock take sale. Yeah, Bam I'm deleting those. I'm deleting those. It's time to recharge you your keep those. doorbell. You yeah. keep those. What yeah. does that mean? I'm so sorry to derail just as we were trying to wrap up. But Dave. That, we are different people. 
Dave, please wrap this up. Dave, wrap it up. Hey, thanks so much for listening. You can email us like we say. Clear your fucking inbox. Yeah, right. Well, don't email me. Email us. <laughs> do go on potatimo.com. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, I'll say thank you so much and goodbye. Bye. Bye. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.